0: Amazing Grace Kona Welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're going to start off with the book of Romans. Just to give you a little background, this is written by Paul the Apostle. And you can look with me at verse 1. It says here in the beginning of Romans, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, he says, set apart "...for the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, whom, it says, was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God by the power of the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom, he says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith." among the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. To all the beloved, he says, of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's just the first paragraph of the book of Romans, but it tells you a couple of the details of what you're supposed to study in literature. Who's he writing to? The believers who live in Rome. And he says, the ones amongst the Gentiles. Now, Paul, you know, was a Jew. In fact, he was a very zealous Jew in the Jewish faith. He says he was actually, in one of his letters, he writes that he was advancing beyond all of his contemporaries in his zeal for Judaism. He was in the group called a Pharisee of Pharisees. This was the elite of the Jewish hierarchy, the snobbery, so to speak. Well, I don't know what to call I mean, they they were like really, really legalistic, followed everything from the law, did all the stuff. You know, they wore the tassels, the phylactery box. on. The, if you've seen a, a Jew that practices what is a practicing follower of the Levitical law, they'll have a headband with a box right here. It has a scripture inside. They take literally the verse that says to put God's word at the forehead. They can have really short hair everywhere else, but they won't cut their sideburns. They'll have these little rings and they'll cover their head, and they'll do all these stuff that they do as follows. They will have a ribbon type thing that wraps tightly around their form, all the way around, and they will bind verses to them. Like, I bound God, put God's word here, and on my hands, and I put the tassels on the hem of my garment, and all this stuff. They'll do everything that the law says, but Jesus, when he saw these guys, he said, you whitewash tombs. You guys are, are whitewashed sepulchers. You're all clean on the outside, but inside, he said, they were full of dead men's bones. Spiritually to Jesus, he said, you reek of death. Well, Saul was his name before he was called Paul. And we read about the author of the book of Romans in the book of Acts. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, I want to give you a little background of this man. You know, this man that is writing this letter to the church at Rome also wrote 12 of the other books of our new testament and some guys debate whether he was in on the book of hebrews making him 13 out of the 27 books was this man always a follower of christ was he always a good guy no no in fact in the book of acts chapter 9 it says now saul still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the lord he went to the high priest and he asked for a letter letters from them to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's what they called the early church, the way. Some of you have seen Bibles that right on the front of it said the way. It was the Bible. You open it, it was the Bible, and it just said the way. In John 14, what did he say? Verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one gets the Father except through me. So the church began to be known as the way. And if if any of you should ever get asked this about Catholicism, just so you know, the actual word, the root of Catholic is the way. Okay, so here, Saul has asked from the, the leaders of the synagogue, can I have permission? I need you guys to write me a letter. So I can go all the way to Damascus and I can persecute anybody that says they belong to this way. They're really annoying. They're going around telling everybody that Christ is risen, and this Jesus guy rose from the dead, and, and he's alive, and we need to be born again, and what are they talking about? I'm a Pharisee. He's wearing the box, doing the whole thing. So it says here, they granted him the letter, by the way, that he might be able to bind both men and women and bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so in verse three of Acts chapter nine, it reads, and as he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, that suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecuteth me? Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He said, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. And then the men that traveled with him stood speechless, it says, hearing a voice, but not seeing anyone. Only he gets to see the Lord, okay? He sees this light, a light brighter, it says, than the sun at high noon. Saul gets up and it says in verse eight, when he rose from the ground, though his eyes were open, yet could he see No. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight. Neither did he eat nor did he drink. Now it says there were disciples there at Damascus, a man named Ananias. And and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Lord, excuse me, objection. I know about this guy. It's like the law is on his side. The religious leaders are with him. I could just see him going, this is a bad idea, Lord. Now, none of you would ever say this to the Lord, right? The Lord's telling you to do something like, sorry, Lord, that's a bad idea. But pay attention to the details. The Lord told him that Saul was praying and that God had revealed to him while he was praying that a man named Ananias was going to come and lay hands on him and he was going to regain his sight. Now, this is the point where you hope Ananias listens to the Lord because he, he could just say, forget it. I ain't going, man. That guy's a bad dude. I don't feel like being imprisoned and beaten. And he said he had some people stoned, and I'm not, I'm not doing it. But listen to what Ananias said. In verse 15, the Lord then said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias, don't worry. He's caused suffering, but I'm going to show him what he'll suffer. Ananias, well, verse 17, departs. He enters the house. He lays hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, It says, there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. And for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying that he is the son of God. This man had a radical conversion. Even in his conversion, God is fair. He says, this guy has caused pain for the gospel, he's going to suffer pain for the gospel. Now did Saul, who became Paul, did Paul in the Bible suffer for the gospel? In the book of Corinthians, he writes, I have been shipwrecked, spent a night and day in the deep. I have been beaten. He had received from the Romans. When they would whip a man with rod and scourges, they could whip a man 40 save one. In other words, at 40 was considered the 40th blow they could kill a man. So they save one back. We whip him within one stripe of killing him. Leave him alive to suffer the recuperation. Five times this man who's writing this book will receive that punishment. He'll be stoned to death, thrown over the city wall into the rubbish heap as dead, and the Lord will say, get up, we're not done. This guy, I mean, he is... He's amazing. But he was not taught from the beginning, it's all going to be wonderful and easy. He's taught what he was going to suffer. So if teaching Christians that are starting out that you might face some persecutions, you might face some sufferings, is a bad idea to teach as a mentor, then just understand I'm only copying Jesus. Because sometimes somebody's leaving it out of the story. And I hate seeing the wake of that boat when it passes through in our country there was a very ear-tickling doctrine met a couple decades ago about you are a child of the king you are one of his precious children and he's your heavenly father that's all true by the way but what they did is they spun it with and you deserve to have everything that a king's kid should have you need to have a mercedes and you need to have all the blessings and a mansion and all this stuff, because you're a child of the king. And didn't Jesus say, I prepare a mansion for you? No, he said, I go to my father's house and prepare a place for you. He did not say, I prepare a mansion for you down here. See, somebody didn't pay attention to Jesus' words. They twisted just to leave a little bit out, and that's dangerous. The devil does that, by the way. He quotes Bible verses, but he leaves off little details. Has not God said... That his angels will bear you up, lest you dash your feet on a stone. Go ahead, Jesus, jump off this high pinnacle and smash yourself. Let the angels catch you. Funny that a fallen angel is quoting the job description of an angel. Hey, aren't us angels supposed to catch you? Why don't you jump? If I should be like, are you going to catch me? You don't seem to be doing the job you were created to do. See, the devil leaves out little things, and those little omissions can cause us great spiritual damage. So I want to teach it to you in its entirety, as best I can, to get you filled in so you get to be equipped for the good fight that we face. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Now we know who's writing. And let's see how he introduces himself in this book. This is a very powerful introduction. He reads here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul a bond servant of Christ Jesus. In Jewish culture, if you got yourself into debt, you could go to the person that you're in debt to and you could offer yourself as a servant to work off your debt. You, you like literally say, I'll be your servant until the debt's paid off. There was a statute of limitation, so to speak, in the law. Every seventh year, you had to release the people from their debts. So the longest term you could serve was seven years. But you find in the Jewish culture that some of the folks that wound up in debt, they would go and they would say, can I work it off? They'd work it off. And while they're working for the boss, maybe they met one of the other folks and fell in love with one of the gals. The guy got married. He had children. He's still serving his master there as one of the servants in the house. And the seven-year period comes to time for releasing. And he says, you know, you're released from your debt. Your obligation's paid. And the fellow says, you know... I'm really not doing too bad serving you. Since I've been with you, I've got a wife, i got my act together, I'm not gambling anymore, I'm not drinking, whatever it was that got him in this trouble. And I like it with you, and I want to stay on and be your servant. This is called to be a bond servant. This is a servant's classification designed by choice, not by you did something bad and got yourself in trouble. So what the master of the house would have to do is take that person. To the doorpost, the lintel of the house, and he would take an awl and he would pierce his ear and put a gold ring in it, signifying this person is my servant, but that says he's here because he wants to be. He has found that I'm a good master. Now, if you had a bunch of bond servants running around your property, someone came up and they didn't know anything else about you, but they saw that all the guys that worked there had a bondservant's gold hoop in their ear. What would it tell the people about the Lord of that house? He's a good master. The guys that are serving him are here because they want to be. Look at the very first line of the book of Romans. Paul, a bondservant, a bondslave of Christ Jesus, the guy who blinded him. They said, you're persecuting me. We're going to have a chat. This is about 58 A.D., 25 years later. After 25 years, we have this guy who, by the way, was around in the early days of the gospel, right? He was persecuting from the very beginning. So he's had about a 25-year or 24-year. This is how long this man has been serving the Lord. And his introduction of himself to this church at Rome is, I am a bond servant what he's declaring is i love my master this is a great master to serve now if you do 24 years following the lord and you still say he is a great master ss more than i can even express you're going two and a half decades of service where you're saying i know who to follow i know who who to serve, because he is a great man. That's his introduction to these guys. Now see, I only have to tell you this because they already knew what year it was. They were living in it. They already knew Christ was crucified 24 years before, and they know this guy was one of the early persecutors. And yet he has been converted and has been following the Lord all of these years. So when he speaks now about Jesus, he's speaking from personal experience. He's speaking from, let me tell you about what I have learned about him. Now, he doesn't say Saul, a bondservant. What does he say? Paul. The little one is here to talk to you. I'm a bondslave of Christ Jesus. Called, he says, as an apostle. Now this is the part that I really think is worthy of an entire sermon, this very next line. Because I don't think in our culture too many Christians today know what God has called them to be. They don't know their spiritual calling from the Lord. Paul did, in fact, just for a little extra credit, go through all of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He was, collaborated on 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He wrote to Timothy a couple letters. You'll see that in every one of them, where it's him as this introduction of authorship, where he just says, Paul, I, Paul. Let me show you. Just turn to Galatians. I won't do every one, I, I promised. Just to give you one as an example. Just read the first two verses of every one of Paul's letters. See if you notice anything similar. Like how they start like this. Paul, Galatians 1, verse 1. An apostle, not sent to men, no, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Hmm, okay, okay well, I'll cheat and do one more, Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Wait a minute, he said that before. A guy's been serving for 24 years and he has to still start off his letters with, I am called as an apostle, not by the will of man. Because some guys were saying, how come you're an apostle? Who made you an apostle? What makes you the guy that says you get to talk to us about God? And you know what his credentials were? Um, my boss blinded me and told me what I was going to suffer. He said I had to change my name too. And I found out he's a really good boss. He's the best guy you can serve. And I'm now his bond servant. And I am called an apostle. An apostle, the word literally means one who is sent out. A sent one. Okay, who sent him? And uh, so you're a sent one. By whose will? Like what organization? Was there a church group that sent you out? Did you get sent out by some some guys, some elders? He said, no. I was sent out by God's will. What did he call you to do? Believe me, not all of us are called to be up front. In fact, the Bible warns, let not many of you become teachers lest you incur a stricter judgment. I need stricter judgment like a hole in the head. But God laid it out to whom much is given, much is required. He expects you to step up. If he says you do, you tell them to do. Oh, this is a good one. You're going to tell them how to live, but you ain't going to live it? Does that fly with God? No. You cannot sit there and say, I'm here to tell you how to live for God, but I don't do it myself. It does not float with him. He will take you to task just ask any pastor it's like the more i try to do the calling he's called me to do the more i find out i gotta stop doing a lot of stuff that's not good i have to practice the very things i have to be an example of the faith if i want to say to someone hey just live and follow the lord and entrust to him all your cares and walk in faith and fight the good fight i'm gonna tell you to do that but i don't do that Does that float with the Lord? No. You are not given that as a leeway. In fact, you are exhorted by the word of God that you understand you're going to get a stricter judgment. You want to stand up in front of people and tell them how to live their life for God? Then understand he's going to take you to task. No, it's not because he's mean. He just wants guys to take this thing soberly spiritually this is a real thing and paul when he's going to write to the church of romans he's going to say be sober in your spirit you know sometimes our spirits are diluted polluted by this world and we need to have that stuff taken away and paul's going to address that okay this is just the intro But trust me, he's going to lead right to that very thought that we not be conformed to this world, but we be transformed by renewing our minds. You know, this is one of the best things for you. It's going to renew your thinking. As we go through the book of Romans, it will lift you up. It will make you just go, wow, you will know. Listen, when we get done with this book, you'll be going, that is what I was looking for in my Christian walk. I've been reading the Bible. Bible. I never saw that. And I'm like, it's right there in the book of Romans. How to be transformed by renewing your mind. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. tonight.